The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Hoare, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, May 31st, 2020, on the basis of John 7, verses 37 through 39. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. By my estimation, it lasted for about a month. I'm talking about the period of time during which it seemed just about everyone was completely united in this battle against our common enemy, the coronavirus. When everything in our world shut down mid-March, it seemed that there was pretty widespread agreement that yes, these were drastic measures, but they were probably necessary measures. And I think that lasted for about a month. But then March turned into April, and April turned into May, and more and more we started to see division popping up, divided opinions about just how serious this was, when and how we should start to think about reopening things, the proper protocols businesses should take, and the proper behaviors individuals should take, and it seems as though with each passing week that division in our world only grows and intensifies. By this time, that probably shouldn't come as much of a surprise, I suppose, right? We've seen this happen over and over again. In fact, recently I was listening to a podcast that was all about the moon landing that took place back in 1969. I don't know about you, but I would have thought at least that would be the type of event that would just bring everyone together, not only as this phenomenal national accomplishment, but also as a victory over our arch rival, the Soviet Union. And yet, sure enough, back then, there were plenty of people who were very much against all of the time and effort and money that was being spent trying to put a man on the moon when there were still plenty of problems to fix here on Earth. Even the strongest of unifying forces in our world often wear out very quickly. And not only has experience taught us this over and over again, but really the Bible teaches us this as well as it describes for us our natural universal human condition. In the verses that are in front of us this morning, Jesus compares that human condition to thirst. A thirst that we feel not with our mouths, but a thirst that we feel in our hearts. And as a result of that thirst, something else that is common for all of us is that all of us are looking for water. All of us are looking for something to satisfy that thirst, not only to to fix a broken relationship with God, but also to establish unity with other people. There's a very good reason why that description or that metaphor that Jesus uses is so fitting. It's because just like when it comes to our thirst, a glass of water sure tastes great in the moment, and yet the satisfaction that it brings quickly runs out. In the very same way, so many of the things that we often seek and turn to to satisfy our spiritual thirst might be great in the moment, but their power very quickly wears out. And so thankfully, not only is Jesus going to point out this condition of our thirst, not only is he going to expose the inability of so many things to bring us the satisfaction we seek, ultimately in these words he's going to point us to the one thing that can satisfy our thirst once and for all. As we celebrate the day of Pentecost today, he's going to point us to the work of the Holy Spirit, work that not only satisfies our thirst once and for all, but then also establishes a unity among us 
that is going to last far longer than a month. These blessings that we receive from the Holy Spirit are not blessings that wear out quickly or blessings that we need to keep going back for more and more over and over again like we do with water. Instead, as we look at these verses from John 7 this morning, we're going to see that when it comes to our spiritual thirst, the Holy Spirit is God's final pour. Now, there's a very good reason why Jesus would speak of these things in terms of water and thirst. John tells us that these things happened on the last and greatest day of the festival. The festival in question was the Festival of Tabernacles, a festival that took place in the fall after the entire harvest, both the grain harvest, which came in in the spring, and the fruit harvest that came in in the fall, after that entire harvest had been brought in. That festival lasted for an entire week, and it was a time of great rejoicing in Israel. Well, over the years, one of the customs that had developed, it wasn't commanded by God, but it was a custom that developed, is that on each and every morning of this festival, someone would take a, a pitcher of water, fill it up in one of the springs that fed one of the pools in Jerusalem and bring that water to the temple and pour out that water on the altar in the temple. Why would they do this? Well, in order for you to be able to celebrate a harvest, you needed to have rain that year. And the presence of water in those springs was a sign that God had blessed them with the rain that they needed. And so as they poured out this water offering day after day, it probably started out as, as just a way for them to say thanks to God for providing that rain that had come during the previous year. But of course, they didn't just need rain for the previous year, they also needed it for the next year. And over the years, they started to believe that this was the time when God would actually decide whether or not he was going to send rain for the coming year. And so over time, these water offerings were viewed as a way that they could actually earn God's favor and thus earn rain for the following year. So it's after seven days of this taking place, day after day, that Jesus stands up in the temple and says these words, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus is saying that our hearts are like a dry, sun-scorched, farmer's field that is desperately in need of water. Deep down, we sense that something isn't right with our world. Something is very much wrong with us and with our world. Something is broken that needs to be fixed. That's our human thirst. And so as a result, we look for things to try to satisfy that thirst. Perhaps we're tempted to satisfy that thirst with our accomplishments or our resume. We might satisfy that thirst with our relationships, with friends or with our spouses or with our children. We might try and satisfy it with the clothes that we wear or the way that we look as we wear those clothes. We might even try to satisfy it with our goodness and our virtue, even our religion. And then just like those Jewish people did, it's very easy for us to assume that those blessings that we seek need to be earned. In fact, that they need to be earned over and over again because that satisfaction that they provide so quickly wears out. And so we bring offerings, we bring sacrifices of our own. If we're seeking satisfaction in our accomplishments or our resume, maybe that sacrifice is one more 12-hour workday. If we're seeking it in our appearance, maybe the sacrifices we bring 
our one more trip to the gym day after day after day. If we're seeking it in our parenting, the way that we raise our kids, maybe it's one more class, one more league, one more team, one more camp. If it's in our goodness and our virtue, maybe it's one more bumper sticker for our car, one more post on social media so that we can let everybody know just how good and how virtuous we are. As silly as it sounds, that those kinds of things would bring us satisfaction and that those kinds of sacrifices would earn that satisfaction, it's all completely natural for us as human beings. What's truly remarkable and unnatural is that Jesus promises that he can break that cycle, that cycle of thirst, followed by sacrifice, followed by temporary satisfaction, but then only more thirst. Jesus promises to break it when he says, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Come to me to receive water that doesn't need to be earned, that you don't need to offer sacrifices for. Come to me to find water that isn't going to leave you thirsty again 30 seconds later, but is going to fill you up once and for all. In fact, John makes sure that we don't miss the point of what Jesus is saying. He lets us know that this water Jesus is offering is the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, God would send the Holy Spirit to be permanently present in the hearts of all who believe. Or to use the language that you heard in that reading from Acts, God would pour out his Holy Spirit like water to fill up the hearts of all who are thirsty. And again, this isn't something that God needs to do over and over and over again. You see, really the one thing that once and for all can satisfy our thirst is the work that Jesus, our Savior, has done. His perfect life lived in our place. His innocent punishment suffered in our place. This is the one thing that can fix everything that is wrong with us, everything that is wrong and broken with our world. And Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, everything that we've been celebrating during Easter, are proof of that fact. And so John tells us that once Jesus was glorified in that way, God could pour out his Holy Spirit like rain, like water, onto that dry, sun-scorched field, and our hearts would be satisfied, not just for a little bit, but once and for all. The Holy Spirit is God's final pour. He is able to fill the hearts of those who are thirsty. As I said, that's a, a remarkable claim because that's not how water normally works. In fact, after it had rained all day Thursday, I think it was, of this past week, Noah and I were, were driving around somewhere, and Noah said, Dad, I don't get how they measure the amount of water that falls, the amount of rain that comes down. And it reminded me of a, a similar confusion I remember experiencing when I was younger. I remember waking up in the morning, perhaps hearing that it had rained an inch or half an inch the night before, and I'd look outside and I'd think to myself, well, where is it? Where did it all go? When it snows an inch, you look outside and you see an inch of snow covering your driveway, but when it rains an inch, sure, there are a few puddles outside, but most of that water quickly gets soaked up into the ground. In fact, if the sun comes out quickly, pretty soon the ground is completely dry. So not only is it remarkable that Jesus would say to us that he can give us a water that never runs dry, that satisfies our thirst once and for all, Jesus has something else to say that is arguably even more remarkable than that. Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, 
rivers of living water will flow from within them. So when God puts his Holy Spirit into our hearts, he doesn't just create a puddle there that somehow miraculously never runs dry. He actually creates a spring there, a spring of water that then flows out into the lives of others. In other words, he doesn't just make a receptacle of our hearts to be filled up with God's love for us. He makes a river out of our hearts to flow out with God's love for others. What a blessing that that wonderful unity that we enjoy as Christians is that not only would we be filled up with God's love, but then that, that love can flow out freely to others. As I mentioned before, it's not surprising to see that other unifying forces in our world quickly wear out, quickly run out of steam. There's a very good reason for that. It's because so many people in our world are still thirsty. So many people in our world are still looking for that thing that is going to satisfy their hearts. And I think we've seen a perfect example of that over the course of these past few weeks as we've gone through this time of pandemic. It is, of course, very, very natural and very understandable that all kinds of different people would have all kinds of different opinions about this pandemic. Is it a global existential threat or is it not all that worse than the common flu? Is it time to reopen or time to stay shut down? Is a business essential or non-essential? To mask or not to mask, right? These are all the questions that people debate and discuss. And it's only natural that there would be differences of opinion and you could even argue that those differences are very healthy. But the question for us to wrestle with this morning is why do people not just kind of hold those opinions for themselves, but why do they, why do maybe even we feel the need to express those opinions so strongly and so forcefully, to perhaps even try and enforce our opinions on other people and to immediately get defensive and react strongly when someone might try and enforce their opinions on us. Why might we even be condescending and critical or even downright mean and nasty for someone who sees things a little bit differently? I suppose there could be a variety of reasons but really the, the foundational explanation that these words confront us with and that it's important for us to wrestle with is that anytime there is a soul who is not fully satisfied, it is going to destroy unity, any possible unity that could exist between that person and other people. You see, if my soul is not satisfied, if I am still thirsty, then every opinion that I hold, really everything that is unique about me is an opportunity to satisfy that thirst which means that anyone who is different from me, anyone who holds the opposite opinion as me, is suddenly a threat, suddenly an enemy that needs to be torn down. And of course, this can happen with anything. It doesn't just happen with a, a pandemic. If, for example, I'm looking for my satisfaction in my work and my accomplishments, and so I'm a workaholic, I'm probably going to resent the dad who is at home with his family for dinner every night and is able to coach his son's baseball team. On the other hand, if I'm a, a great family man, then I'm probably going to be critical of the dad who's a workaholic. If I'm very fit and very fashionable, I might sort of look down my nose at the person who goes out into public not at all caring what they look like in front of other people. But on the other hand, if I don't hold a membership to a gym or go every day, if I don't count every calorie and maybe even go through the drive through at Culver's every now and then, then I'm probably going to criticize those vain, superficial people who just care about their looks. 
Anytime a soul is thirsty, it is naturally going to destroy any possibility of unity. But thankfully, the opposite is also true. If my soul has been satisfied in the way that only God can, then that satisfaction naturally flows out and manifests itself in unity with others. If I know where I stand with God, if I know where I'm going to spend my eternity, if I know how everything that is wrong with me and everything that is wrong with our world has already been fixed by Jesus, and most importantly, if I know that all of that has nothing to do with me and what makes me unique, it has nothing to do with my accomplishments, it has nothing to do with my fashion sense or whether my kids are getting straight A's in school, if I know all of that, then as I look out and see people who are very different from me, suddenly those differences can be celebrated. I can marvel at all the variety that God has built into our world and even built into a church like ours. All of those differences that exist are not reasons for resentment, but can instead be reasons for celebration. I get to enjoy and benefit from all of the gifts and everything that makes everyone else unique. I get to benefit from all of those gifts, even though those are gifts that I personally do not possess. That is a fruit. That, that fruit of unity is a fruit that we get to harvest as Christians, all because the Holy Spirit is God's final pour. He not only fills up those who are thirsty, but he flows out from those who have been satisfied. There is an alternative, of course, and it's actually an alternative that a lot of people in our world these days pursue and sometimes is very strongly encouraged for people to pursue, that if our differences are only going to lead to division, well, then we better keep all of those differences to ourselves. It's very easy these days to feel like we're constantly walking on eggshells, that at any given moment we might say just the wrong thing that's going to upset the wrong person. And so we're sort of presented with this either or choice. Either our differences are only going to increase division or we can just keep those differences to ourselves. Thankfully, through the work of the Holy Spirit, God offers us something far better. Because our souls have been completely and permanently satisfied, then everything that makes us unique is not a reason for resentment, but instead is reason for celebration. Because the Holy Spirit is God's final pour, we don't have to worry about choosing between increasing division or keeping those, di those differences separate and to ourselves. Instead, we have something better. We are better together. Each one of us unique and yet fully and completely unified. So come, Holy Spirit, fill up our hearts fully and flow out of our hearts freely. Amen. Amen.